Hello and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast about board games, board games and just occasionally role-playing games. I want to kind of start by saying I'm joined here today by special guest Quinton Smith, which is obviously frankly untrue, but this is a bit of a special episode because we are following up on Quinn's wonderful how to get into RPGs videos and basically I was just like I'm not going to just leave a comment I'm going to like opinionatedly like rant at Quinn's in the company slack and say <laughs> Quinn's can we have a conversation about RPGs so I am Ava Foxfort and this is uh Quinn's our very own Quinn's and hello yeah Hi. hello um Quinn's was just <laughs> talking about to me about how much he likes my hello so now I'm really like oh have I done a good hello in this podcast yet I don't know hello no that's a bad one no the first one wasn't one of your best and it's only getting worse I think we should just move on from this <laughs> Let's move but, uh, on. I've, I've really put you in your own head uh yeah so I, li- I like this I like you coming out and saying it that while lots of people were very happy to leave comments on the new video I wrote on how to get into tabletop RPGs you thought I actually would like to do one better. I want to talk to Quinns for between 30 and 50 minutes about exactly this. That's exactly the kind of self-serving move that I would do myself. So uh, yeah, I, I really approve of this. Yeah, uh, I mean, I did, to this. we all missed the times when I used to write 30 or 50 minute long comments in the uh, Shut Up and Sit Down website, right? From <laughs> back in the day. That's literally what led to you getting hired. That's, so yeah, this is, we've got kind of come full circle again. Yeah. Um, but no, honestly, I was... When I would, if you haven't seen it, um, over on the Shut Up Sit Down YouTube channel, you can see my, it's about 30 minute long, goodness gracious, uh, video on getting people into RPGs. And uh, if you haven't seen it, if you don't have the time to sit down and watch me talk, I will now summarize it as follows. I go through three parts, the first of which is simply, you can do this. I want, because primarily I want to get people over the idea that RPGs are intimidating when they're not, they shouldn't be. Um, and then step two, I go through what games you might want to start playing with. And actually I kind of cheat that as well by saying, just play whatever you want. That's actually the game you should be playing. Don't stress about whether it's good or not. Just play what you want. Um, and then thirdly, and finally, I give some tips to games masters, which can be summarized as you're not a screenwriter. You're a director trying to show off your players. So there you go. I just collapsed a 30 minute video into like a, a black hole of, of bullet points wow. for, for the people at home. You could have saved people a lot of time, Quins. Like, I could have just done it all that. in a minute, right? I couldn't do that because I got too excited. Honestly, yeah. the year I have had has seen me I, coming out of the pandemic. I realized to myself that um, I wanted to do a few things because I think probably like a lot of people, I looked at my life coming out of, you know, multiple lockdowns um, and I thought, I'm not totally happy with where I'm at. When society opens up again, I, I want to do certain things differently in my life. And one of those things was simply realizing I am rarely happier than when I have a regular role playing group on the go. So I've been playing a lot of stuff this year. And the reason I couldn't do a three minute video, I had to do a 30 minute video is because I'm just feeling so passionate right now. I am so hyped for tabletop role playing games. I say in the video and I'll say it again, they are the source of the best game design in the world that nobody's talking about right now. And ooh, ooh, they're just magical. <laughs> I gasped when I watched the video just now about that and we just saw that you you were like, oh yeah, no, it's the most interesting design space. It's like, Quinn's, are we losing you? Are you not going to cover board games anymore? <laughs> is, this, is this the end? I, I mean, if I'm being if I'm being honest, they're probably the most interesting design space because I don't, I know the least about them. It's yeah. like 10 years of studying board games and I know that, but RPGs still, uh, there's, there's just so much more for me to learn. So yeah. I'm far, I'm the furthest thing from an expert. 
Uh, all the same, I will be taking the role of an expert in this discussion as we try and get to grips with uh, the sort of subject that you wanted to talk about today, because this video really hit at a good time for you, right? Yeah, I think so. I think there was just like, like, I, I've also came out of the lockdowns and stuff thinking like, I definitely want to do more of this. I definitely want to do more role playing. I've been like, thinking about it for ages. And like, I've got a bit lucky and I have managed to have a couple of games over the last years. But I still really, really struggle with this. And there was something about like, your passion in this video is like, obviously infectious. Like there is a lot of it. There's a lot of weird little clever details i think it's an absolutely brilliant video and it's annoying oh, because like i've got used to just like watching everyone else's videos on the channel and just getting like really bitter that uh, you're all so much better than me and then you've just like <laughs> knocked it out of the park with this beautiful thing that actually reluctantly makes me sneak into the slack and just go quins you are brilliant um because uh, yeah. just keep this coming <laughs> keep it coming keep it coming um but i think you hit the nail on the head about so many little details details of what is exciting about it what is off-putting up for it and like to some extent I'm kind of just responding to one thing that you said which was just like get out of your own head like get like it is very easy to look at these things look at the huge array of stuff on offer that looks incredible and like this this has been this has been the bane of my existence for quite a long time is that like I will see something I will see a Kickstarter I will see a product in a shop I will see a book that someone's talking about a Twitter thread where someone's talking about oh this is this is so exciting look at this cool role-playing thing and the pictures of these things are just like absolutely marvelous like you've got you've got so many RPGs with these like very beautiful pictures like simple things like the worldwide wrestling is just wrestling like do you not want to all be wrestlers like and then immediately everyone knows what sort of stories they could be telling with that wonder home is just animals going for a walk and being cozy and exploring a world and it's like very low conflict but there's like a little edge of something spicy in there like uh Teeth is more of Jim Rossinol's fascination with making everything into stalker. So, except it's in the <laughs> north of England in the 16th century. And there's just... And so I buy these books. I buy these books and then I put these books in front of me and then I read them and I get about a third of the way through and all of that excitement just drains out of me and just becomes fear. Yeah. Right. And I'm I'm kind of aware that I'm doing this wrong and I'm kind of aware that like I've seen enough advice, I've talked to enough people who do role playing. I've even done enough role playing myself to know that one of the big things is you don't actually need to inculcate everything. But I feel like there's this problem I've got about getting inside my head particularly that is like, I love these ideas so much that I want to do them justice. First things first, you have, you, I think, have gone through the most normal experience in the world, which is like the first step to, for so many people to getting involved in RPGs is buying a book that looks cool. And goodness gracious, these books are, are so cool. Like so much uh, of the revenue generated by the board game industry comes from the fact that board games contain more than just the components and the game design. Board games, a lot of the time, are sold because the box contains something else. It contains this notion of how much fun you will have with it. When you buy, I don't know, I've looked at the side of my collection. When you buy, I'm struggling for a game that's actually like immediately accessible. Sidereal Confluence. Okay. When you buy Sidereal Confluence, you're not just buying it for the game design. You're buying it because when you get that box, you're imagining how much fun you will have with it. And sometimes 
that's enough that board gamers will have a great time buying a game, even if they never play it, because they're kind of buying the idea that they might one day play it. And role-playing is that on steroids. Role-playing is a book that contains not even a game that you might have fun with, but a world of imagination and adventure, a story that only you can tell. Um, but then you have to tell the story, you know, then there's like a huge creative barrier between you and what the game is encouraging you to do, which is, you know, leap headfirst into a world of imagination. Um, and certainly I think there's a really contradictory thing at the heart of role-playing, which is the most exciting books with the thickest hardback covers and the most art tend to also be like 400 pages long. And that is almost self-defeating, right? It's like you buy this book cause it's so exciting, but then there's so much book that suddenly the idea of trying to tell a story with that book is like just absurd. And this is, I think, like I touched on this in the video, but this is why I think it's so backwards that Dungeons and Dragons is considered the entry point into a hobby. I, I love that. I love what Wizards of the Coast have done with D&D 5th edition. I love that there's a variety of really good starter sets for it. But I hate that, you know, if you skip the starter set or you want to progress beyond the starter set, you're buying with a D&D with the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Player's Guide, I combined 720 pages of rules. That is absurd. <laughs> like, that's just ridiculous. Um, so sorry, that's that's basically me sympathizing with you. But then, okay, your question was like, how do I break out of this? How do I go from the point of doing exactly what I do, which is get a third of the way into the book and go, well, I can never play this, um, and actually then play it? That's, that's what we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. And I just wanted to add that, like, I think that, I've over the last few years in my weird ivory tower of not actually playing much games I've become increasingly like oh I don't see what the point is in all of these rules and things should just be really simple and light and just easy to get into and I did really like the way that you described in your video and made me see like oh that's why people love them so much right is that for a start some people games with a lot of rules yeah people like games with a lot of rules for a lot of different reasons some people just like really love systems and really love yeah. being able to be like I confidently know this 700 page books worth of information and can just pull it out on demand um, but also you're right about the thing that these make these things much more like video role playing games that people have already had that experience with these big blocks of stats and a character sheet which is funny because you know like a lot of the classics of that genre were based on D&D in the first place and then pull it out put it into a video game and then those kind of blow up and go in so many different directions that now you need to be like the video game in order for people to understand what you're getting into but I thought it was really good that you were just talking about that as like a scaffolding on which you can build these games so I'm not I yeah you almost won me over to big books but I know that I have this problem with little books even and I do still want to know just like how do I lose like what's the best way to remember that it's a game it's a people and you don't have to okay. do it perfect I'm with you I, yeah I think anyone with the vaguest perfectionist streak is going to be so frightened at the idea of starting session one of an RPG. So, so let me let me make this crystal clear for you, Ava, and for everybody listening. RPGs are, and I'm going to make Tom beep this, and he failed to beep it last time I swore. So, Tom, I'm listening to you. RPGs, when you run them, are a freaking disaster. They are they are unbelievably messy. Like if you tried, I mean, like this isn't always true, but generally speaking, 
if you tried to take the plot of a of a role playing game campaign that you're playing with you and your friends and turn it into a book or a movie, it would be absurd. Character motivations would be inconsistent. Action sequences would be ultimately be like too easy and then unfair in a way that made everyone upset. You know, there would be no relationships between any of the characters, or sometimes one relationship would be really ex- like heavily explored, and like the author would just forget stuff all the time. <laughs> so. But so the the two things to keep in mind, I think, when you're thinking like, oh, how could I run a story? I would, I, it wouldn't be good enough. I can't do this. The reason I say yes, you can, is because um, you will make every possible mistake, and I know that because I've run dozens of campaigns and I make every possible mistake. I still regularly, while GMing, like do a voice for a character. It's like, oh, you approach the woman, and she'd be like, oh, I'm happy to see you, and then I will literally stop and go, oh no, wait, her husband died. Just, just now, didn't, didn't they? Uh, she's like, oh, oh, you're here, you know, because I'll, I've forgotten that that NPC's motivation. That's what role playing is. Yeah. And so the the two things are a, what you role play will be a disaster because what everyone role plays is a disaster, and b, it won't matter at all. That's the other huge thing, Ava. You need to like you, you're you're correct. When you role play this, you'll do a horrible job. Your players will do a horrible job because role playing is impossible and role playing well kind of isn't the point anyway, because it's about fun. So what I'm saying is you'll do a horrible job and it will still be some of the most memorable fun evenings you've had like ever. Right. Um, and how can I convince yeah. everyone at the table of that as well? Because I think that like there is this thing of like on some level, I know that. And like if there's one thing that I've learned through working with Shut Up and Sit Down, it's that I'm better at a lot of things than I think I am. But like, <laughs> but I think that there's this, there's this uh, one of the things that I struggle with. It's not just that I have to get out of my head, it's that I have to convince someone else that I don't have the fears that I have about it. I have to get a group of people sat around the table and like. Not always, but quite often the end result of that is like, I'm going to have to do the most difficult job and I'm going to be teaching people and showing people something like so exciting to me and that people have heard good things about, but maybe seen these kind of perfect versions of it and now trying to do that and they're scared and I'm scared. And how do you get over those? How do you get over those moments? Oh, well, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I get scared too. Being a GM is really intimidating because you wouldn't be organizing this game if you didn't care. And the fact that you care means you want it to go well. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. On the one hand, like, this is the exact reason I don't host dinner parties. Like, I enjoy cooking. I'm not bad <laughs> at cooking, but I only really cook for me and my wife because the idea of cooking for other people. I mean, Ava, I know you love cooking for other people. Yeah. I can't do that because of the intense dread that means I can't enjoy cooking for other people at all. So why do you not have fear when cooking for other people? Why are you just able to do that? Because I can't do that. I mean, mostly that's practice and like having made enough messes that I've realised that people like it anyway. Also, well, there's your answer, yeah. isn't it? That's, isn't that the exact answer you need for role playing? Is you need you. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I wasn't trying to be like, you see what you've done there, Ava? You, you saw that coming, yeah. But that's it. You just need to make a bunch of messes with people yeah. and realise they enjoy it anyway. I also like the, the, the other thing that sticks out about my cooking is that whenever I put something in front of people, my immediate thought is to go like, oh my word, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then just bring it out onto the table. Look, everything went wrong. And then, yeah. So I never know whether One people of the are best... being genuine about liking it because they might just be being polite because they know I had a bad time. I hate... Oh, it's I... So nerve wracking. I hate that. I hate that. One of the best tips I got for cooking ever was um, 
you can apologize about exactly one thing about the meal you've cooked. You can't, if you, if you go, I'm sorry, this is underdone and I should have done this longer and I forgot the garnish on this, then guests, suddenly you transform the meal, you just cook people into something that they see as bad yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're making them do more emotional labor anyway. Role playing. Uh, oh, no, that's I, really good though, because I think I do actually do that by default. There's always one problem that I can see with it and I'm always like, I'm just looking at that and everyone else is like no do you know what there's a whole cake here like there's this whole yeah. spread is what I'm looking at like something being a little bit too salty isn't a problem oh god this is too good a metaphor quince <laughs> <laughs> you know what else I've discovered is that um uh generally speaking as a GM when you go into it you think I can't make a mistake this has to go perfectly um one of the revelations I've had this year um is that players really like it when you sweat like, you know, players don't like it when you're nervous or visibly unhappy, but so long as the GM is comfortable, mm. I mean, this really is kind of like cooking, but if you're comfortable, players like watching, in my experience anyway, players like watching their GM be pushed to the absolute limits of the GM's ability. Like the games I've been playing recently, which are Spire and Heart, which kind of are, are, are two games set in the same world. Um, Spire and Heart give player characters powers that are so ridiculous Okay, I'll give you one example. I'm playing Heart right now. One of my players is a witch, and she recently unlocked the ability to... Do, before the, the players do a journey between two locations, she can do some scrying, and she sees visions of three things, and she names what those three things are. The player does, and then I, as a GM, have to fold those things. Those are, those are things that will come to pass. So whatever... Like, she could say, like, I see constellations in the sky, I see a big penis, and I see uh, a loaf of bread. And then I have to make sure they encounter those things on the journey. And the players love this yeah. because they see like a single bead of sweat run down my forehead. <laughs> and they see me like haphazardly elbow these things into the plot. But um, but when they happen, the players are like, yeah, because that's it's it's fun. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. game. It's playful. And I think like, yeah, that's a, that's another really nice point is like, if you suck, don't think of it as like, oh, no, I suck and I'll ruin this for my players. But remember, players probably enjoy role-playing around someone who's, like, struggling. Then they do, I would, as a player, would be nerve, nervous role-playing with a GM who's, like, you know, really eloquent and is always one step ahead of me and is, has, a, has a really firm grip on the story. I would find that, you know, I'd find that intimidating. Yeah, you talked in the video about, like, trying to set a low bar with your character design so that people know that they were, the characters <laughs> always get to be the most nuanced in the room, even if they don't know how to be because they'll just be thinking about things from the perspective of one person right but like yeah, exactly yeah exactly. again this actually just reminds me of some more like things that i've learned in my actual life which is like i briefly uh did some work running uh homework clubs in libraries in brighton oh cool um so yeah so i spent some time like working with kids and running little workshops and talking about things and helping kids with their homework and one of the things that i realized was that if you go into that environment and you like try to be well i think most people can actually manage this but if you are me and you go into this sort of environment and try and be like right these are the rules we're all going to sit down and do this and be really hard that didn't work at all but if I went in there and immediately <laughs> messed up, if I like 
confess to the fact you went in there and your your briefcase falls open and all your yeah 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 or just like just like someone asks me a math question and i'm like oh i'm really bad at adding can you help me with this right which Mm. is true like i understand math quite well so i can still help with homework but like the basic stuff of like what is seven plus four takes me longer than it should considering my age and the jobs (laughs) that i do uh but yeah i think there is always something in like having it's not like showing weakness but like just reminding everyone that you're all just friends at the table right oh that's the name of a podcast isn't it i didn't even do that on purpose um but yeah reminding people that it's just a group of friends getting together and doing something and you're just going to try and tell a story and you're all trying like the whole thing of it is that it is this collaborative thing and i think that there is a pressure on gms to kind of be perfect but like my experience has always been that the best response to that is just to pass as much as you can back to the players, like empower them to do yeah. what they want to do, right? And like, in- that's a that's such a good tip that I did not do, and like, I'm such a control freak, I would not relinquish my grasp on the story. But um, yeah, that idea that the players arrive at a tavern and you as a GM are like sweating and you're tired and you actually want to think about the combat encounter that's coming up. Mm-hmm. So you have to come up with something. Why is this tavern interesting? But if you just ask your players, hey, what's interesting about this tavern? then they will leap at the chance. They will love being in that yeah. tavern and they'll probably come, come up with something cooler. And I, I resisted that so much as a GM before. I, that, that was so, that was like anathema to how I yeah, ran yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. It had to be my world and you're welcomed into it. Yeah. Um, but no, it's so much better the other way. Yeah. And I, I think that there's really explicit ways that you can bring that into stuff as well. Like two of the games that I have managed to take part in recently as a player over the last year or so, one of which is actually going on, is currently online and available for people to watch, but we'll come back to that at the beginning. Oh, yeah. But like one of the games that I was in recently um the gm in the session zero when we were doing character creation and working out all of the stuff and making these choices about what we should do also just like directly asked us like what do you want to see like you know this setting what would excite you what's a bit from a film that would be cool or what's something that would be excited you'd be excited by if you saw it and like this became something where we were challenging her and like saying like encouraging her to do increasingly wild things you know it'd start like oh can our boat have like a dog hanging off the back in a little lifeboat and like ends with okay can we do a heist but it needs to be underwater (laughs) and it should be overground there should be like a really high class party going on oh yeah and at one point i want there to be a sexy boat with uh with a face um and like if you ask me that as a gm i'll be like yeah and write that down and the version of that i will give you will be the most pound shot (laughs) it's like it would be like there's a frat party happening on a sandy like hill yeah. and underneath it there's like a small pond. But, but that's it, right? Is it. that that's that doesn't matter because that's still mine. That's still me seeing you like yeah, rise yeah. to something that I've suggested. Um also the other thing is one of the things you mentioned, and this is probably the best GMing tip I've ever actually managed to execute successfully, which is you talked about not being able to come up with names. You uh, made one of your characters be called Quentin um, and <laughs> yeah. things like that. Um, uh, one of my best ones is actually nicked from Tim Clare, who was a previous guest on the podcast, uh, does a load of writing challenges. And one of them was just like, write down uh, 20 or uh, 20 names or as many names as you can write down in 10 minutes. Um, and by because of the fact that you're not looking for the one perfect name for this situation you come up with 
20, 30, 40, 50 names in that period of time. And I actually, at least once when I, on one of many like attempt first sessions of a game that didn't run for very long, um, we, uh, I just got all of the players to say like, hey, could we just spend five minutes writing down the names of people and writing down the names of places? And it gives players the opportunity mm. to like mm. set some of the tone, but also mean that when you do give someone a name, someone recognizes it as theirs. Like it's equivalent to yeah. like playing the hat game version of Monica's where you're just writing things down in a thing. You get this bonus of being like, aha, I, I saw that. I pulled that out of the get out of the bag. Yeah, but then it's funny when like the the villain shows up and they're called Frazzles and you're like, oh no, I didn't want Frazzles to be the bad guy. <laughs> now we have to go and shank Frazzles. <laughs> Um, I had, sorry, there was, there was a weird silence in that where the, the term shanking frazzles just hung in the podcast air. I had a topic I wanted to talk about with you yeah. um, on this. Uh, I So you have talked about um, your experiences with role-playing. I know you've been doing some one-shots recently. Yeah. Um, and if the people new to the pod, new to role-playing, listening to the podcast, haven't heard of this, it's kind of a wild concept if you think about like how do you, how you know Dungeons and Dragons is traditionally thought of. But one-shot RPGs are role-playing games that are designed to be finished in a single night or a single setting, sometimes even just an hour or two hours long, and then you're done. And then you can play the game, play them again, or you can play play something else. Um, and often one-shots will have the ability to be like spread out over two or three nights, maybe. Um, but I know that you've had some very successful experiences role-playing one-shots recently. Um, and to you, this has been kind of a way into the hobby. And uh, and I hear it a lot that there's a, there are some games like um, Lady Blackbird is a good one. Very simple games that are kind of fixed and give everyone a character. Like a, there's someone, the captain of this ship, the Lady Blackbird, and someone's the goblin in the prison and so on. Um, and I've heard that this is a very good way into role-playing because it's um, simple rules, a simple system, and it's over and done with quickly, so no one's signing up to a long campaign. Yeah. What I want to talk about with you, Ava, is the fact that I hate one shots. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, well, that's, that's a strong term, but like, to me, it's so, let's talk about your good experiences with them first. Let's talk about, because I think you represent the, um, the sort of common, like common knowledge or common wisdom, which is that these things are fun and they're good and they're accessible, right? Has that been your experience? Well, I, th I think they're a thing that have their place. And I think that they do deal with one of the biggest problems that you've got with this, which is that generally speaking, you're asking someone, particularly like at the sort of age that the two of us are, asking people to be like, can you be free one night a week, one night a fortnight, one night a month? at the same time so that we can all get together and can people stick to that and not have to cancel it because of any of all of the thousands of crises that can happen to people in this day and age or just being really tired and being like oh can I really commit to it and I feel like one shot answer that question really well and just like look let's just get together and do this once and then maybe we can set a day for a time to do it again and there's not that commitment now that does sap something out of it for me because obviously what I really want is to be doing this regularly and be telling stories that like bind a group of people together for years but I've struggled with it I think it is difficult to make things sustainable and people's lives change and it is tricky I am not the best person at that sort of social management but one shots yeah that should be a really good way into it and it's that there's space for people to design these small tiny things I guess the one page RPG trend is also a part of that although a lot of them are like so heavy on like asking you to improvise but also they're all 
distillations of an idea like can you be a uh, clumsy space marine can you be a bear trying to steal honey can you you know <laughs> you get that pitch right and it means that people can engage with it and know what they're supposed to be doing and i think that yes yeah. that i think that that's what one pages are super good for it's the uh it's the having a very clear purpose a very strong start characters that fit the scene perfectly and then it's like I don't know, it's like greasing a luge and then you just throw the players down it and, you know, it, it's going to hurtle along and get to the end. Distressingly, Ava, I've now realised that after that RPG video went out, I was texted uh, by Kieran Gill and, and Jim Rossignol, uh, two RPG designers and, uh, and friends of mine. They told me to play a game called Trophy, which is uh, very good. It's picking up a lot of positive press and that also breaks my rule of don't railroad <laughs> the players because actually, if you've got kind of like a short focus thing, railroading players through multiple scenes is exactly what you want to do. I just, I know that Kieran at least listens to this. So Kieran, if you're listening, I hate you for, <laughs> for subtly pointing me towards where I'm wrong. Like, look, every rule is designed to be broken and, and all that. But listen, the thing that gets to me about one shots is that one shots work. Everything you're describing works. These are systems that are designed to work efficiently and well as tight little machines. Um, I think the reason I say I don't like them um, is that for what they make up for in functionality, I think they lose some of they they lose some magic. And if I had to put my finger on where I find where I most frequently locate the magic in role playing, it's when players establish characters and then those characters develop or they change or they do something unexpected or players just get to grips with them. That's kind of the heart of what of what you know role playing traditionally is. And I think when you have a one shot, like you kind of, I I don't want to call them just functional because I've played in some wonderful one shots. I have a really distinct, marvelous memory of playing Fiasco and role playing one of the funniest, like making multiple people around the table cry with laughter as I had to role play a guy who was coming on to uh, his friend while they were watching Avatar. Um, <laughs> and that being like a, a narratively load bearing scene as to whether I succeeded <laughs> flirting with this like closeted guy or not uh it was and yet like as much as one shots can work for me the like the heart the like the rainbow roads of, of role playing that i'm always trying to get on trying to find is it emerges when from week to week you sit down with the same characters and you really finally get to know them and you learn how they change it's like the difference between you know meeting someone in a pub and having a fun night versus living with someone and then learning what's wrong with them and getting them to to grow which is, is this making yeah sense no to it's you? making loads of sense and i think actually like there's there's a couple of things there that like bring bring it all together because i think there's this thing of like ah that's what i've been getting wrong with role-playing games in the big campaign sense right is that like i'm really excited about these little one shots that provide you with everything give you a stock character so that you know people just know what they have to do but actually what you do need to do is let people relax into it so like a great one shot will provide you with all of the tools you need and all of the instructions to just make that refined and i'm seeing that and i'm being so excited about that existing but that's because i'm hoping for my bigger games to be like that and maybe they can't be because maybe the point is uh, that they need yeah. to be that more fluid and broken and messed up thing so that these things become lived in so that these things really really belong to the players and that is not something you can do quickly like just Getting to know a character, no. getting to inhabit a character, like getting to play a role is is doable, but like 
actually you want people to care about these people for what they are rather than for the story you're telling so maybe maybe what i need to do is stop thinking about things as being like that and actually being like no i am just going to get people together and get people telling a story telling something interesting and just making it theirs and yeah i think i think you've got the foundations of of exactly what you want to do next ava okay because you were talking about like you know playing every week or every month for years that's not how i play i think even like even though even to me that's a little out of reach what i do is i like campaigns that are like eight to ten sessions long i think it's in uh, Avery Alder wrote this in Monster Hearts, but scheduling your your role playing games like seasons of TV, you know, is a really really good middle ground between we're going to play D and D every month until we're four hundred years old. It's like no, maybe that's not going to happen. But what could happen is like what I say to my friends is, hey, can we be free every Tuesday night for eight weeks? And like that tends to be pretty doable, at least among my friends. Um, and you know, maybe someone's missing in a particular week, but that's okay. We can, we can muddle on with that with people. What about Ava, if you moved up from doing one shots to like four sessions, yeah. you know, like, does that sound something you could do? Cause four sessions to me is like, you've got first session when nobody really knows who their characters are and it's a bit woolly. Second session, you start maybe finding where they are. And then sessions three and four, you know who your characters are, you, you hit the ground running, and then suddenly it's such important you've got your finale. Yeah, 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 Does yeah. this sound like something you could maybe squeeze I really, into your life? I really hope so. I really hope so. And it's, more, it's as much about squeezing it into other people's lives and squeezing other people into my lives, although that's sounding a bit a bit worrying. But yeah, I think there's... <laughs> I would, I would love that. Like, it's actually one of the things. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm currently uh, uh, doing a bit of a playtest game on uh, Upriver, Downriver that hasn't been released yet. But um, oh, what's that about? Um, it's about going up or down a river, Quince. Um No, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's. I, I feel a bit awkward because this is someone who's a friend of mine, so I don't know to what extent we're allowed to to uh, publicise it. But like. Um, it is a game that fuses almost all of my interests in one thing. It is designed to be four to four to eight sessions long, I think. It is yep. uh, based around the tarot. It is uh, using the cards of the Major Arcana for both the locations of the setting and the character design and bits of gameplay and curses and blessings. It's very magical. It's very queer. Um, and it's just a crew of people who end up promising to go on a journey together and they are either going to go try get to go up river to the source which nobody has ever returned for or make it to the sea and it is i don't know i love water i love water so much uh, and like there's yeah. just a yeah, yeah, magical yeah. element to this so yeah no it's like when you're getting to know someone and you're thinking like hey you seem like a cool person and then you find out that they're making an rpg that is like exactly what you are most interested in it becomes a bit like oh okay i want to give that a go um and yeah and up river down it's it, one of the things that appealed to me was that you can sell it as look we're going to go to four of these locations or six of these locations i forget the details and then there's going to be an ending because getting to endings yeah. is so important like yeah 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 having that i think like that's that is something i would definitely say to people who are planning their first rpg sessions is try and fix an ending in place or like an end of season yeah. 1 that's what i do these days is like I always end my campaigns where like could end, 
end there. I don't want to do the TV thing of like leaving on a cliffhanger or something, but it's like, I want to do the TV thing of like, you finish a season and then you can ask the audience, which is the people around the table, do we want to renew this for season two? And what surprises me is like, players are desperate initially to, to, to figure out who their character are and they just want to level up and make their character bigger. But when you give them an ending, then, and you ask them, do you want to move on to something else? I was shocked, but my players in general are like, no, I want to move on to something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Players are so possessive and self-obsessed. But then the moment you give them an off-ramp off the highway, they're like, oh, I can actually retire this character now and, and have a the end. Yeah. Great. Even if that ending is like sad. Oh, wait, but that's it. It's an ending. It's a, it's a conclusion to that arc. Like it's the completion of that character and all of the things that you were excited about telling. And yeah. like, if you just let it tail off, then you're not actually going to get that. But if you can land that that's great again another and then this i think kieran's more of your friend than my friend but like uh no offense kieran i mean i do like you um uh, but god he is listening isn't it i'm not kieran's friend okay what i was going to say that i didn't mention the video but you touched on there is um any role-playing game where you play teenagers like your mileage may vary i know that this isn't everyone's experience but for starter rpgs i have had such fun and such like immediate success with two games monster hearts where you play teenage monsters like you're a and you're the the monsters are kind of an allegory for your changing teenage bodies but don't think too much about it um because you're also just a vampire um and that's dope um but uh, but also tales from the loop um which is an rpg a, a sort of like it started around the goonies what you all like really um stranger things where you're a bunch of teenagers having adventures and then you can actually follow that up with a different game called Tales from the Flood, which is the same teenage, but older teenagers, and now it's darker, and now you can die. Um, but anyway, the thing that I experience is players play teens so beautifully and so easily. Like, to me personally, playing a teenager is almost like the easy mode of role-playing, because, like, I get, like, teens are complicated. I'm not saying teens are like humans, but simpler. That would be rude. But, like, every adult can, like, snap quite in, in a quite humorous way, back into being like sulky and selfish and a poor communicator and like unself-aware and awkward. And like when you, Ava, when you talk about like it, it, it's us, it's, you know, role-playing is at its best when it brings a bit of me and you open your heart to it. I find that when you get people to play teenagers, people can really effortlessly slip into some stuff that is very tender. And that like, and even if it's like, you know, oh, person who's not invested in role-playing, can you play a teenager for me? They're like, yeah, I'll role-play a teenager. Without thinking <laughs> about it, they'll role-play They'll role play as the kind of teenagers that they were. And, like, if you have a whole group of, like, three or four people doing that earnestly, you can get into some really magical places a lot quicker than uh, than you wish you did. I, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to, I think I might have mentioned this in the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast before, but Avery Alder was telling me about a role-playing game, and I can't remember the name of it, but it uses this where um, it's a it's a role playing game about being teenagers who pilot mechas and have emotions basically. But um, in that game, your character, it, the, the, one of the things in character creation in that game, is it asks the players um, who are going to be playing teenagers in this game, what is the name of your crush in real life? Who was your first yeah. crush? For me, for me, it was a, a girl called Augusta, which means if I was playing this game, my character would be called Augusta, yeah. which <laughs> is such a brutal bit of like and there's no additional rules to it you don't have to role play who your crush was but you have to say their name and hear their name all the time <laughs> and it just shunts you right back into being a dis just miserable teenager you know what i mean um i think yeah so i if you're looking into starter rpgs 
personally, not everyone would agree with me on this, but I think look into games where you play teenagers because um, I think they will accelerate you to, or maybe even die is the game for you in that case. Because I think maybe all of these games might accelerate you towards what is magical about role playing, which is kind of like putting just a, a little bit of your heart into your characters. <laughs> not a lot, but a little bit. And that that's almost like putting, you know, nitrous in a car. Ava, are you, are you going to organize an RPG that's longer than a one-shot. Yeah. Are you going to organize a three or four? So, yeah. yeah, you are. So I'll hold you to this. I'll bother you on future yeah, podcasts. Yeah, definitely. You don't, that copy of Worldwide Wrestling isn't spare, is it? <laughs> but Ava, you know that the Worldwide Wrestling RPG, if you play it as something other than a one-shot, um, you role play like the van, like driving between uh, shows oh, wow. and stuff. So in Worldwide Wrestling, if you play it as a campaign, you role play the wrestler's persona, but then you role play the real athletes and ed- entertainers who are just yeah, like yeah, themselves yeah, 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 yeah. outside the oh, ring. Amazing. That would that be fun. Amazing. So like, I think that if you, you, cause you've played Worldwide Wrestling, I think that would be like a really natural step up to like do the Worldwide Wrestling you played. And also, you know, maybe they hate each other behind yeah. the scenes or maybe they don't. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna, Ooh, I'm, I'm definitely, gonna, I'm definitely gonna keep on working, working working stuff out god it's so exciting there's so many cool things so it's so, so cool exciting things. there's so much there's stuff there's so i do much actually to want do. to mention i think i talked about this in the newsletter but we got sent a copy of coyote and crow recently and like it's a it's a game that i don't think i could ever play but it is the most in incredible pitch for a book ever and i'm incredibly glad that it existed which is a rpg set in somewhat near future but in a world where uh due to a natural disaster that changed the nature of the world quite a lot um uh, europeans didn't make it to turtle island slash the americas um and so it is set in the americas in a, in a future that hasn't been taken away by the European invasion and uh, it's written by indigenous writers um it is the best book of world building I've ever had and I just want to shout it out as if is it just like a sort of is it sci-fi world building of like people speculating on you know how uh Native American society would yeah 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 it's essentially like an exploration of like alternate world Native Americans so it does make it it's got a lot of tips in there for how you can make this about you if you are a Native American yourself and how you shouldn't do anything that is based on real world Native American people if you are just role-playing um if you are not part of that community but it gives you tips for how you can engage with this and it includes an entirely like the the society in it is fictionalized isn't based on a specific culture but it means that there is the room here for um it's just so cool and it's sad because it's a world that like has been taken from us and i did some reading about that fairly recently but like i just wanted to mention it briefly while we're talking about rpgs because they sent us a copy of this big enormous coffee table book and i can't review it because i'm probably not going to be able to play it but reading through it has been one of the most fascinating experiences of this year you know what i almost pulled the trigger on yesterday and almost bought um because i'm like because it is just so my jam um Jiangxi Blood in the oh, Banquet yeah. Hall. Um you know about that one? That's a role-playing game where you all the players play members of a Chinese family uh in about circa 1920 in America. So it's in you're in one of America's Chinatowns and uh in the day you run a restaurant, but by night you fight Chinese hopping vampires. Yeah. Uh but also you will have to help each other, you know, overcome the various curses you've got. And then presumably there's also family drama in there yeah. as well. So like 
if you uh, if you like me sobbed your way through everything everywhere all at once yeah. and uh, and you know feel like and like this you know what's funny is like I was steered away from Jiangxi because I thought to myself you know I've played Legend of the Five Rings I don't want to embarrass myself by you know, like uh, role playing a culture that isn't mine anymore. But you know, like as surprise, surprise, as RPG design develops, these books, like the the Chinese uh, American authors of Jiangxi, Blood in the Banquet Hall, don't want you know people like me to to stay away from their game. They want people like me to come and learn and be respectful yeah. and have a great time as and well. So the book has sec- has sections like me that put all my fears that I will be accidentally mega racist to uh to yeah no i've heard really really good things about the sections in that book actually that was something that i picked up at uh pax you i didn't pick up a copy of it but i someone was talking to me about it and the fact that it goes into so so in depth and so precisely in that stuff but also if you're from other i think really it's intended for you if you're from other diasporic cultures around the world like it there's some stuff in there that's about how to tailor it to your own culture and to like make it so if there's people really? of color of other things yeah i believe that that was what i was told i'm really sorry if i've got that wrong but my understanding is that there's some tips on like how to bring your own stuff into it if you are from a a similar diasporic marginalized community and i think that's that's really interesting and i like and again that was in coyote and crow it was very much like if you are a native american you can think about how your people your culture would have been in this like how put stamps of yourself into this stuff and i just like i just didn't want to get to the end of this without saying like yeah rpgs are there's so such exciting stuff happening and so many like uh creators of color and people from around the world who are making really creative things based on uh entirely different worlds and like we don't have to stick to like western mythology fantasy and yeah i'm really excited for what's going to be happening with rpgs because it's been exploding with wonderful ideas over the last decade we all put so much effort into you know bringing more diversity you know more, more minority backgrounds into things like video game design and board game design that like you know it's not perfect in rpg design but when you get into the tabletop RPG space so often it's like looking into the world of tomorrow you know where like there's so much more queer creatorship there's so much more people of color making games you know it's like and that is reflected in games that aren't just more diverse but are like so different and fresh and exciting and I think this is why I get hooked on TTRPGs now in the year 2022 is because like you know it's it's that world we're all striving for is in some respects already there you know like of just we all want different games made by different people and they are right there in the role playing space and that's just so freaking great sorry tom another beat for you (laughs) uh ava thank you for talking to me about uh role playing games i'm gonna be very i mean i'm I'm, I'm going to be bothering the hell out of you if if you if you haven't started a little full session campaign or something soon. So you've, you've done yeah, great. Yeah, no, thing. no, no. Well, that's fair. That seems reasonable. Thank you for letting me just rant and ask questions for you and slowly reveal I have actually been playing enough role-playing games that I probably should be out of my head by now. And I kind of know all of the advice you were going to give already. But like, oh my word, thank you for talking to me about it because I hope that everybody listening is half as excited as I am about role-playing games and maybe like an eighth as much excited as you seem to be about role-playing games because my word stressed at the minute actually Ava I can't find the I want to play a big robot campaign but I can't figure out what setting (laughs) and Lancer is good but it's kind of very combat focused and then everything else I find that I like has like no combat and I really need like a traditional indie or tridindy or trindle or whatever it's called and that's just I don't know what I'm gonna do (laughs) 
I'm sort of imagining Tom fading up the music now, but like, <laughs> I just want to put my friends in big robots, but the no, we're not. We can't end this with a long discussion about how we don't know what games we're going to play, but yeah, fade up the music. Why? What's wrong like, with that? Because we said What's that you that? just do what you're passionate about. Just do what you're oh, excited yeah. about. Like, oh, you're yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.